Good morning. Welcome to Laurel Heights. We continue to thank God for good people who have the desire to worship God and be encouraged by others who have that same sincere purpose. We invite you back at 5 o'clock when I'll be preaching on four promises you can count on. This morning, please have your Bible ready in the book of Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. The first Sunday in January, I started a series of what will be 12 sermons by the end of the year focused on the grace of God. Grace is God's to give. It is ours to receive. But grace isn't just something God gives. Grace is who God is. I hope it is obvious. Anytime we study truth from the Word of God, truth about God, we're talking about who God is, and that calls for an obedient response of faith on our part. So, the grace of God, what does it mean? Why is there such a substantial emphasis on grace all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New? How does grace obligate me? How does grace motivate me, influence me, strengthen me? Is this just a salvation topic? How did Jesus exhibit and convey God's grace? These questions are not merely matters of academic interest because a solid biblical understanding of the grace of God is crucial, foundational, to our understanding of who God is, what He offers, what He expects of us to receive that offer, the kind of people we need to be in preparation for eternity. The grace of God is first introduced to us in Scripture in Genesis. God did what he didn't have to do, speaking everything into existence and making human beings in his image. And about that, I spoke to us last month. And I said to us, it is staggering and amazing that God has a history of doing what he doesn't have to do because he cares. He cares for people who have not always responded to His will. After Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Old Testament is filled with many further accounts of God doing what He didn't have to do, offering powerful episodes in this book of deliverance based on the exceedingly great merciful and loving God who brought us into existence and made us in His image. Genesis chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, 
The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height thirty cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die." But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. 
Here's what I want to do based on that reading with emphasis on the grace of God. Three truths about God I want to highlight. God's grief, God's power, and God's grace. God's grief, obvious in verses 5 and 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. This is something about God I need to know. This reality, His grief over sin. There is no neutral stance with God when it comes to sin. He who made man in His own image is not looking the other way, not indifferent to our sin. But He loves and cares. Therefore, when those he made turned from him, and they destroy themselves, and they abuse women and fight and kill and display all manner of wickedness, or just have a streak of selfishness, God is offended. Though he still loves and cares, he is offended. He is in grief. In his justice, there is wrath and response. But His justice and wrath is a result of and is mingled with His sorrow, His grief over the behavior that goes against the very purpose for which man was made. And this divine grief is referenced and documented not only in Genesis 6, but all through Scripture. In the 78th Psalm, it says of the Israelites, how often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. Likewise, in Isaiah chapter 63 and in verse 10, they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. <clears throat> By the way, we are warned against grieving the Holy Spirit of God in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. What we see about God in the flood account, we need to know today. And this knowledge ought to become part of our restraint and defense against temptation. God's grief over sin is truth about God that should influence every one of us toward consistent daily righteousness. God's power. Verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. It was by God's power that man was made. It would now be just this same power that would make an end of all flesh. What you make belongs to you. One of the primary objectives of Old Testament history is that we might become acquainted with the sovereign power of God. And that becoming acquainted with His power, we would do as He pleases. We were made in His image. 
In our study in the book of Daniel in our adult class recently, we were able to see in very dramatic and exciting ways that God holds power inherent to His divine nature that man will never duplicate. And in that connection, I once cited Luke chapter 1 verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. He was sovereign in the time of Noah and has not lost any of his power since then. Psalm 62 and verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And if you are a Christian, it was by God's power in the gospel that you became a Christian. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save. God was not only grieved by the sins of man, He had the power to respond according to His will. But what did Noah find? What did Noah discover? Verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. And as the story turns out, God didn't do all that He had a right to do. Before punishment arrived, God's grace made provision for Noah and his family, and then God set Noah to the task of becoming a preacher of righteousness. God saw in Noah a messenger to speak to others over a long period of time about the grace of the Creator they had ignored. See, God didn't do all that He had a right to do. Time was granted for the family to prepare, to build the ark. And during that time, we are told in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was doing evangelistic work while doing construction work. Now, take that fact into account, and where do you come out? Though God grieved over sin, though God had perfect power to do anything according to His will, there was grace. Genesis 6 is really more about God than it is Noah. It's more about grace than it is water. More for us to learn about the God who made us. Let's, let's go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And I'm going to shift now to the next phase of this study from the book of Hebrews. What are we to learn from all of this in Genesis 6 and these observations? Number one, God in His grace should be so deeply and richly perceived in our minds that that grace moves us. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Some of you have the New King James, and here's a phrase, moved 
with godly fear. We may think of the Bible in terms of topics. All of them true, but this topic and that topic, and here's another topic that might relate to this. But it's all connected. Everything in the Bible is connected. Faith is a heart-based activity. And that's what we see in Hebrews 11. Faith is a heart-based activity. We understand that love for God expresses itself in obedience to Him. Noah knew God's grace and Noah was on the move. He moved with godly fear. And consider, please, how God's grace should move us. Not just inform us on an academic or intellectual level, but move us. God's grace should move us out of sin to Christ, away from the world to God. Move us to better families, better fathers and mothers and husbands and wives, better servants toward each other. Move us to work, a worship with deeper, richer thoughts of God's grace. Move us toward evangelism. Move us to serve one another. Move us to be active, zealous members of a local church. Noah found grace <clears throat> and it moved him. Is grace moving me? Is God's grace moving you? Those are the questions I hope linger in our minds through this year's series on God's grace. Sin should grieve us as it grieves our Father. In Romans 12 and verse 9, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Or some translations, hold fast to what is good. God looked upon mankind <clears throat> in the time before the flood and his reaction was grief. The more I know of God's grace, the greater should be my reaction negatively to sin. I should never get used to it. No matter how much sin I see, no matter how many people I know are guilty, no matter how fondly our culture promotes and celebrates sin, it should be loathsome to those who love God and know of His grace. I should be grieved by everything that grieves God. And I'm directed in that way when I consider how gracious and merciful He is. His grace doesn't ever cause me to take sin lightly to the contrary. His grace causes in me the grief it causes in him. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. God's power saves and protects us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It is the power of God for salvation. We are told in 1 Peter that by God's power we are being guarded through faith, ready to be revealed 
in the last time. So God doesn't overlook our sin or just let it go. He doesn't endorse it. He is grieved by sin, and we should be too. But in His grace, He found a way to punish it without wiping everybody out in a flood of wrath. Jesus took the pain and death. Romans 8.32, He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. It goes on to say, How will He not also graciously give us all things? God's power saves and protects And this is all about grace. And the more I dwell on this truth of God's power and God's grace, the more compelled I should be to live according to His will from the inside out every single day. Because limited to my power, I could do nothing to secure any blessed eternal home. But it says, by God's power... His people are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We used that song a moment ago, Amazing Grace. It's a classic. It is beloved and used in worship assemblies around the world. But the truth written in Scripture about the grace of God is far more amazing than the tomb. And that truth resonates all through Scripture. It is not limited to the New Testament. God has always been abundantly generous. His patience and mercy far higher than we can perfectly conceive. May we find... what Noah found. And may we give God the glory for all of His rich provisions of salvation and blessing in Christ. Being responsive and obedient and like Noah, may we spread the word about God's righteousness and grace while we live and while we do His will. If you recognize that God is above all, the Bible is His Word, Christ is the Son of God, sin is the problem, Christ is the solution, hearing that message, believing, confessing your belief, repenting of your sin, you can be baptized and then live faithfully as one who's living under the merciful and gracious God who sent His Son. Let's be standing as we sing.